everyone, and welcome to another episode of In Depth with Beth and Seth, a podcast from Plymouth Congregational Church in which we go a little deeper, talk a little bit more about the message that was heard from the previous Sunday. My name is Beth Hoffman Faith. I am the Minister for Congregational Care and Worship, and I am here with my wonderful colleague, Seth Patterson. Hi, Seth. Hello. Good morning. It is good to be with you as always. My name is Seth Patterson, and I'm the Minister for Spiritual Formation and Theater here at Plymouth Church in Minneapolis. And yeah, I had to say the words yesterday. You were the preacher, which makes these podcasts extra fun. So yesterday, Seth, was the first Sunday of our new preaching series called Command to Preach. And this is going to be a fun experiment as they have been for the last year and a half. I've begun to think of the pandemic as everything is a holy experiment. But this is where we have invited you, our listeners, the congregation, to provide us with scripture passages from which you'd like to hear a sermon. These could be passages that are familiar to you that you'd like a new spin on, or maybe those passages that have angered you or mystified you or frustrated you. And we have taken an initial run. We have chosen out of a bowl, so we didn't know what we were choosing, our first set of scriptures. We're going to do this through the first Sunday of Advent. So we have a few weeks to fill, and Seth was first up. So Seth, (laughs) do you want to talk a little bit about what you drew and your initial reaction to it? Absolutely. I am very grateful for the people that are submitting these. I'm really glad that we, we have apparently more submitted than we will have time to preach on. And then that's a good thing. That's a good place to be. So I'm really I think grateful. they'll be around too. I have a feeling there's going to be I a hope so. command to preach part two. And I'm grateful to Dr. Jerry Mindrum, who put in the suggestion that, that I pull, pulled out of the bowl. And it was, it was an adventure. He wanted a sermon on the book of Ruth, uh, which Ruth is not a very long book. So it's not saying a sermon on the book of Deuteronomy, but it, it's still a substantial thing. Uh, he said that he had heard a sermon on Ruth years ago, and while he didn't remember the details, he remembered finding it very meaningful and wanted to re-explore that book again. It was, it's been quite an adventure to, to explore an entire book and, and figure out where to narrow it down. Um, something like Ruth, that even though it's short, is, is a story which allow which means that there's a lot of themes and a lot of things that could be talked about that indeed just can't be and so the title of the sermon this is from sunday september 19th 2021 is the name of ruth is the title of the sermon if you haven't heard it yet you can check it out on the plymouth website or on our youtube channel soon there'll be a written copy up on our website as well Of course, my first question for you, Seth, is because you were given the entirety of a book and as you already sort of foreshadowed, there's a lot of themes that could evolve out of the book of Ruth. It's one of my favorite parts of the scriptures. I I love the book of Ruth. But you settled into a very specific understanding and message, and I wonder how you got there. So can you talk a little bit about your process? Well, part of it, I didn't know the Book of Ruth very well beforehand. The way I knew about it most was being held up in a, in a feminist 
lens that that is most of the time I had heard it talked about is in the, as I said in the sermon, a, a feminist island in a sea of patriarchy. It's just very unique in the Bible for being focused on and all about and very women centric. Mm. And that's most of what I knew, but I knew very little. So I, I started by reading it. Mm. I read the whole thing and thought, huh, look at that. <laughs> and then I started reading what other people had written about it, everything from feminist theologians like Phyllis Tribble, uh, who in the 70s wrote a lot about Ruth as part of was the beginning of feminist theology, uh, but also commentaries and other ways of getting into it. So how I landed on Companion came out of, or how on the names came out of that as I read more and more, it continued to talk about the usage of the names and the loss of it in an English ear of not having that immediately obvious mm. that to an to a ancient Aramaic speaker that would have been, if somebody said Ruth, they would have known it meant companion and it wouldn't have. So it gives an, it the whole story an allegorical quality that is completely lost when the names remain names and not meaning. So it just, it continued to, Settle. Well, it was a beautiful lead-in, this idea of the meaning behind names. And I really appreciated what you did with that because for me, the meaning of a name almost matters more than the actual name itself. As what does you, your name mean? My name, Beth, and I am, as I always have to say, just Beth. I'm not an Elizabeth, a Bethany. For a while when I was a child, I really bemoaned the fact that I was just Beth, but I've grown to really love my name. And Beth means house of God. Yeah. Uh, and so I have thought about that often, especially as I identify so strongly with the idea that the divine lives within everyone right and all things uh that is the meaning of my name is very significant and mm. when we were choosing names for our children uh, for instance ellie's formal name is eliana and we knew we wanted an ellie but i was sort of into this phase of i want something more formal so because you didn't get to be an elizabeth <laughs> right right you wanted to of, make sure that so. ellie could be an eliana yeah. <laughs> Well, we didn't even, I didn't even really know about the name Eliana, but we had this wonderful book, my husband and I, uh, you know, this 5 million baby names and their meanings <laughs> books or something like I that. Yeah. So we started reading all the Ellie's and Eleanor, and there are lots of beautiful Ellie names, but then we landed on Eliana and I said, oh, that's lovely. What does that mean? Eliana is the feminine form of Elijah. And it means oh. my God has answered me. Yeah. Uh, this was at a time where we, you know, my, our first child had died during birth and all we were hoping for was to have a, a, a baby in our arms. And so when I heard the, the name, I said, well, that's it. That's it. We were done. Yeah. We didn't have to choose anything more. Wow. And Hannah, uh, our youngest child is, uh, her name means gracious. And mm. I have seen Hannah live into her name so often. Um, she's, she is very gracious and grace filled. Yeah. Names mean a lot. And you were able to, to tell kind of the stories behind names in your family too. Yeah. Similarly, Nora and I spent a lot of time uh, coming up with a name for Nettie. And it's a good thing that she was born as a girl because we did not have a boy's name that felt right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And so it worked out that way. And her mm-hmm. name is Natty. And I always have to spell it because it's N-E-R-Y, but you say it with a Spanish R. So in English ears, it sounds like a D, mm-hmm. but it is N-E-R-Y, Natty. And it means it was, she's named after her mommy's godmother who had a reputation for being uh, very smart and very kind and just lovely. And we wanted to give her that as a mm-hmm. baby. Uh, and then we later found out that it's rooted in Hebrew, even though person she's named after was Peruvian. Uh, it's rooted in Hebrew. and means my light or my candle. Uh, so beautiful. What a beautiful image. Yeah, she is. And Nora will now call her mi candelita, which means my mm. little candle. Uh, that comes from that. And then my name means Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. And then they had another son named Seth. And it means anointed one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let that go to your head. Yeah, before before (laughs) you think that I'm sitting too too heavy on anointed one, Seth is also Egyptian for the the god of destruction, chaos, and storms. So I I get to hold both of these things. I was going to say, it depends on the day. Yeah. You you can live into your name in a variety of ways. That's right. I have used the practice of meaning behind names or figuring, finding that out with confirmands. I've done it in children's messages before. I've done it with some adult groups. It's always to me, very interesting when someone finds out what their name's name means, and then tries to put sort of the pieces together of how that fits into their personality. And often there's really strong connections. It can be a little bit harder now because, you know, I, I appreciated in your sermon, you were very honoring of people who, for any variety of reasons, may choose a name for themselves rather than the ones that their parents gave them. You know, we tend to be kind of in a time in history where naming is, people are getting very creative with names. Mm-hmm. And sometimes finding the roots and what the name means is a little bit of a challenge. Uh, so I, I appreciate it, particularly in first service, uh, when we're outside underneath the tent, you invited people to sort of share the, the meaning of their names with their neighbor. Um, and we took a, a few minutes to do that. And I, of course, leaned over to Dwayne and said, well, I might know mine means house of God. And Dwayne looked at me and said, I have no idea what Dwayne means. <laughs> so we'll have to do a little homework for yeah, him. Yeah, I'm, I'm Let him know. I would like to know what that means. And so, you know, again, this is the way you invited us in to the story behind the book of Ruth. You gave us a synopsis of the story. And then you provided what um, that the characters in the story, what their names meant. And then you reread the synopsis for us using the meaning of their names, Yeah, which was really an interesting exercise. Talk a little bit about that. Well, and that's in some ways how I landed on the direction that I went in when I read that the sons in the story who die almost immediately, they have names, they get married, and then they die, that their names preview their death. And so if you were listening to the story and somebody said, and their son's sickness and wasting away, mm. moved to Moab. You're like, what? Hold on. And so I wanted people to be able to hear that. Also, Naomi, which means pleasantness or pleasant one, pleasing one, at some point changes her name to Mera, mm. which means bitterness. Mm. Like that, that is something that in, if you just read the book of Ruth and it says, and then one day Naomi decides to be Mera. It means nothing. Like, why would she change her name? Until you hear pleasantness changed her name to bitterness. Mm-hmm. And then at the end changes it back to pleasantness. That gives a whole nother layer of meaning and understanding. And somebody who, who believes in the power of 
of stories. I wanted people to be able to hear the story in, in a, with new ears. And for me, I got a little caught up in that as you, and I have the privilege and pleasure of hearing the sermon twice on Sunday mornings, but each time you read it with the meaning of the names, I, I really was taken by, again, how that sort of expanded and changed the understanding of the story and what a lost art that is, yeah. because we don't know the meaning of names. And I think there was a sort of subliminal message in your sermon about kind of living into the meaning of our names or really embracing what our name means and and how would that sort of shape how we live and act in the world. But then you travel down the path to really settle on this, on, on Ruth's name, which means companion. Right. And you talked about the fact that we could all be companions and what that might look like. But what was specific to Ruth's story is that she was a companion in a land that was not necessarily kind to her with a people that were perceived as the enemy or that she was perceived as the enemy. And that just perceived you... as was illegally barred from being a part of society to t- 10 generations uh, in Israelite practice and law. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking it connects to a lot of pieces. There, there's so much loneliness right now. So the need for a companion, somebody, companion means one who breaks bread with another, mm-hmm. somebody just to be in a place of sustenance with that we are all needing real companions. You and I have talked a lot about how we hear more and more from people at Plymouth that on one hand, they really like intellectual, prophetic, sort of challenging sermons, but they also just want to hear that they're loved and they're okay. Mm -hmm. And this was a way to try to do both of those, like give a a sense of that the story has a, a deeper meaning and we have to talk about translation and ancient Aramaic. And also... You are worthy of be, of a companion in your life. You are worthy of, you deserve to not be alone. And we're all seeking that in one way or another. But then also we often, when we think of our companions, we think of people who look like us. Mm. We think of people that we already know. We think of people that are already in our circles, our friends, our families, our workplaces. But what would it mean to follow the model of Naomi and Ruth and have a companion that is wholly other that is maybe even the enemy. And then we have a group of people here that are about to become companions to a refugee family who will be going to lift that up mm-hmm. potentially from Afghanistan, which is about as at this moment as enemy and other as we can get in our current world. What does it mean to be their companion mm-hmm. and to let them be our companion? That it's the other part of it is because we are generally speaking also in dominant society, it's easy for us to identify with Naomi and sort of think, oh, I can go let an other person be my friend. Mm. But what if we are the other? Because just because we're in a dominant space doesn't mean that we are not somebody else's other. So really, my attempt was to show that we need a companion. You deserve it because you are a loved and worthy person just by being a person. And we can both be willing to receive a companion that is wholly other and we can be the other that becomes somebody's companion. Well, I think this is one of the lines from your sermon that struck me the most. In the entire story, it is only the companion who displays commitment and love in ways that are not transactional. You're right. Yeah. It is the companion who saves Naomi, who helps transform Mara back into Naomi, bitterness back into pleasantness. 
And she was the enemy. She's the other. Mm-hmm. So what an interesting question for us to consider in the days ahead. Uh, how, first of all, how do we live into our name? What's yeah. in our name? But also, how are we called to be companion? And how are others companion to us? How can we identify those things and then uh, bring forth a richness and relationship that is truly transformational? And if anybody reads it or listens again to ear to, to intonation, you'll notice that about the second half of it is all questions, is primarily, I'm not answering this for anybody. I'm asking, what is the loss? What is the cost? Why? Who? What can you do? Where do you look for it? Why don't you do it? What is our culture telling you is right and wrong? I'm, I'm trying not to answer any of those things. Because if I tell you the answer, it won't mean anything. Oh, come on, come, Seth. We want the answers, please, please. The answer is 12. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think as people of faith right now, more than perhaps any other time in our lives, we are called to live into the questions. And as ones who do exist in dominant culture, we are not always the ones who have have to have the, we do not have to have the answers that maybe it's in our questions where the learning and the growth really take place. And I think you showed that to us in this fine sermon from yesterday. Thanks, Seth. And I think, again, Jerry Mindrum for letting me go on this adventure for the last couple of weeks. It is, yeah, it was, it was really an adventure. There's a whole bunch of like weird legal stuff in there that could have been talked about. There's the feminist part, there's the otherness part. And then there's this whole part of really, th- if you know the meanings of words, really thinly veiled like sexuality that is rarely found in this capacity in the Bible where it gets really to a, to a person who knew the culture and the words and names, it would have been a very probably funny, subversive, complicated story that just gets lost now. Well, I think too, what you lift up is that scripture is not just words on a page. There's so much context behind when those words were written, who they were written for. And if we're not willing to do some of that scholarly investigation, I think we lose a lot of what scripture can gift us with. Amen. Well, thanks for another fine conversation about a fine sermon. It's always uh, good to be talking to you, Seth, and it's a delight to share our conversations with you all. So live into your name. Let us know what your name is. Oh, I would and if love you to need hear. Help finding out. Well, I know Seth and I would be delighted to, to help you find the meaning behind your name and what. Beth that has might. five million baby names memorized. <laughs> I do have several. I have several <laughs> books actually on this. So, but Google is a fine companion. All right, Thank friends. You all. Have a good week, and we'll look forward to talking to you again really soon. Be well.